You are about to hear unscripted accounts of what it's like to be a 911 dispatcher. Some conversations, okay, most conversations, will contain adult things and listener discretion is advised. The verbiage we share are our thoughts, views, and opinions. Our reality every day we put on our headsets. We'll make you laugh, we'll make you cry, and I guarantee we'll make you say, wait, what? Welcome to our minds. 911, what's the address of your emergency? Hi, Rebecca. Hi, Stacey. Sorry, I'm currently eating some fruit from my sangria. I may or may not have woken up today and made sangria for us because some days you just need sangria. <laughs> today is one of those days. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's not getting easier and everybody's on the same ride we are. So um, make some sangria if you can. When life hands you lemons, <laughs> chop that shit up and make sangria. <laughs> when you have apples, berries, and oranges, just right. go ahead and throw those in some booze. <laughs> It makes everything better. <laughs> so we're starting off on a light note, but we have kind of a heavy topic that we want to discuss today. Um, everything that's going on, just at work the other night, talking amongst coworkers, there were a lot of people who are just very afraid that the suicide rate is just going to skyrocket over this. And so we, we just wanted to talk to you guys today about suicide, how it affects us as dispatchers, how it affects some first responders. Uh, we're going to have our first guest, first responder today, who's going to tell you the reality of their side. Because as we started this out, Becky, right, we said, we don't want you to just hear about us. We want you to hear what it's really like yeah. to be on those front lines. Yeah. Yeah. And I think I was kind of thinking about that too, the whole, how is this going to affect suicides and things like that? Because people do just, you know, fall into despair or, you know, people that were already kind of struggling mentally or emotionally, when something like this happens, I feel like it definitely just kind of can push some people over the edge. And unfortunately, it's a big reality in our profession as first responders because let's be honest as 911 dispatchers we are first responders but not only calls right preach <laughs> not only calls that we take but also in the first responder community with EMS and you know fire and law enforcement i i feel like it's just it's still there's a big stigma around it definitely mm -hmm. um a lot of departments or some more senior officers, you know, like we can't talk about this. We can't talk about our emotions. We can't, and they just bottle it up and maybe deal with it in some not so constructive ways. Right. But, I mean, it, I feel like now there's so many more studies and things like that. And there's just so much more light being shed on this topic as far as in the first responder community that just the amount of trauma that a law enforcement officer deals with, EMS, fire, even us, the amount of trauma that we deal with sometimes daily in a 20, 30 year career, you're going to be exposed to more trauma than most average people will be in three lifetimes. Like it's just inevitable. Right. And I would be willing to say it is daily. It's unquestionably oh, yeah. daily. And like we've talked about before, somehow we just find a place where we just tuck it away and it does pop up, but we just tuck it away. There was a officer that I worked with years ago that I mean, he was just like, we call some of them cowboy cups, right? Because mm -hmm. they're just out there. They're getting into everything. They're just causing messes all the time Love for us. Cowboys. Like, you know, yeah, <laughs> their foot pursuits, their whatever. They're just always on the game, you know? And this particular officer was one of those. And honestly, he woke up one morning and just lost it over something that had happened nine years previously. All of a sudden... It just popped in his head, and what it was is he was uh, dispatched to a, a car fire. I don't remember if it was related to an accident or not, but it was just a car fire. And he shows up there, and the driver of the vehicle is actually standing outside the car, totally engulfed in flames. I can't imagine even seeing that. Yeah. But he tucked it away for a long time, and all of a sudden, one day, bam, there it was. 
you know? And I don't, I honestly don't think the general public understands what these guys and gals have to see sometimes. Yeah. The stuff they deal with, they're just so good at doing what they do. It's hard. It's true. And that's the problem. When you're good at the job and you make it look seamless, I think that's also another kind of, oh, well, there's nothing wrong with them. They're fine. They always weather the storm. They always, you know, swallow it and, oh, nothing. It just rolls off their back. But it doesn't. It just builds up like that. And then one day or certain sound, a smell, a color, whatever happens to trigger it does. And then... You know, it's that in our profession, we call it the re-freak. Yeah. You know, right? When you get calmed down from something, you get that collar calmed down and then something will happen and they have the re-freak and then it's just like that thing is happening immediately right now all over again. Right. So. You can't keep stuff bottled up forever. Sorry, one of us, maybe me, didn't silence her. <laughs> my beautiful daughter's calling, but I'll call her back. <coughs> Sorry, I had something in my throat. It's not. It's not. Uh, well, we're currently disinfecting from the inside out. Yeah. So I feel like I'm safe. Exactly. So let's uh, just jump into some tough stories because, again, this is just going to be a tough topic. So if it's something that is going to be too hard on you, we, we want you to listen, but we understand if you can't. Definitely. I personally, in my personal life, have never been touched by suicide, and I believe you have. Yeah. So, um, you'll have some stories for that. I, I'm going to start out with a, a really rough story that a coworker of mine had to deal with. And I actually called her this morning. She isn't a dispatcher any longer, but this was a call she took that was just an absolute tragedy. She picks up her 911 line. And, okay, I'm going to digress for just a second, because remember how you said when you became a 911 dispatcher, the one concern you had was, what if someone speaks Spanish? Uh My concern was, I don't know what I'm going to say to someone who calls and says they want to kill themselves. And that, that is something that that very first call you get, man, we have no idea what we're going to do or say, but it's gotten to a point where you know, someone calls and they tell me that, and the first thing I say is, I'm so glad you called. Yeah. I just need to ask you some questions, and I'm going to send you some help. You know, what's going on? Why are you feeling this way today? And if you are in that situation where you think you're to that point, please call 911. Yeah. I mean, just call someone, anyone. Even, I mean, I know for a lot of people it's hard to talk to family or talk to someone they're close to, a friend, a trusted coworker or something, if you don't feel like you're in a place that you can talk to someone that's that close to you, that close to the situation, but you still need some sort of help, you're still there, you need to talk to someone. There's so many resources available and, you know, there's law enforcement specific, EMS specific, things like that. I mean, hell almighty hop on our Instagram page, send me an email, like DM me, whatever. I'll even talk to you. Sure. <laughs> like, absolutely. I, I, absolutely. I mean, if, if anybody needs anything, you know, you just need someone to listen. You need to send me a message and just rattle off a stream of profanity. Totally fine with that. <laughs> and, you know, we all get to that down point. Like, I'll tell callers sometimes, I hate days like this. Yeah. Because we all have bad days. Oh, yeah. But um, I also have the National Suicide Hotline number. Um, I'm going to try to get it a few times in this podcast because have it handy, if not for yourself, for someone that you know that might need it. So that number is 1-800-273-8255. So if you're in need of it, call it. That's why they're there, just like us. They go to work every day to try to help a soul in need. Okay, so uh, this story, she picks up the phone and it's a young man who tells her that he's standing on the train tracks and he wants to die, uh, 19 years old. He just can't do it anymore. She is on the phone with him for a decent amount of time. 
trying to talk to him, asking about his life, asking what's going on, telling him, you know, please don't do this. Like, like we try to tell people all the time, don't make a permanent decision on a temporary situation. And she's on the phone with him, Becky, when the train hits him. Oh. And I can't even imagine how she felt, how she still feels. When I talked to her this morning, I asked her, is there anything special you'd like me to say about what that was like? And she just said, no, not really. Just basically like you and I have said many times, people just don't get it. What we deal with on our end of the phone and how difficult our job can be. And I feel like that's definitely something that unless you are in that moment and you experience it, you don't, there's no way. I've been on the phone before and with a parent, you know, mom's on the phone, dad's in the room with the kid, mom's screaming, he's going to kill himself, my son's suicidal, he has a gun to his head, and you hear the gunshot in the background. Yeah. And there's nothing, it's, it's hard to explain because part of you just, your heart sinks, your stomach does a flip because you know what's just happened. But then the other part of you is just muscle memory and you're getting the resources, you're doing what you need to do, you're asking the questions, you're right. trying to calm the caller down. breathing, can we help? But at the same time, you're freaking out on top of it too inside and it's just, it's weird, it's a weird dynamic how both of those things can be happening inside of you right. at the same time and you're able to never let them see you sweat and just do it and handle your, you know, you're there for the caller at that point, you're there for the responder at that point. After you hang up, after somebody's there, after help's there, then you can go in the bathroom and cry. But <laughs> Right, or we lean on each other and we yeah. talk to each other just like we are right now. You know, exactly. just like the, the reality is the way that we're talking to each other now is how we talk to each other. Right? Absolutely. Uh, like, you know, like I've said before, oh my gosh, <laughs> you won't believe what just happened. It's, it's scary. But let me tell you how she did deal with that. Um, I think for the first year, it was probably very difficult on her. And uh, on the anniversary of his death, she contacted his parents and said, I have an idea. Would you allow me to do this? And she took a picture of him and took some baggies. I don't know how many she did. Put a $5 bill in each baggie and stuck those on red box machines with a little note that said, enjoy your movie today in memory of mm -hmm. with his name and that's cute yeah just a just mm -hmm. amazing and it, and it was something that i'm sure helped cleanse her soul his parents his parents just thought it was a fantastic idea so that is a nice way to kind of keep his memory alive even the people though you know that were getting it didn't have any idea what had happened probably or what but that made them think about him you know yeah because there's, there are always people behind, even when you feel alone and you feel like it is the only answer, you are leaving people behind true. who will deal with that for the rest of their lives. And with that, I know, and I hear it so many times in our center, oh, this one just wants attention. This is the fourth time this week she's done this and she's on Facebook Live trying to jump off the overpass. Okay, she probably does need a hug, but no matter what the reason is, it's an obvious cry for help. Or when I hear people say, suicide's so selfish, and it's different for everybody. There's no, it's not black and white. It's just, everybody has different opinions, everybody has different feelings. You both can be right next to each other, know the person, and have completely different experiences for yourself with the aftermath. I know for me, um, I mean, I've had my best friend's dad did it, and just watching the aftermath, the ripple effect, you know, it's been a couple years now, but every birthday, every, you know, the day of the month that, you know, on that anniversary, and just to see, and, you know, just life events that he's not there for or right now 
you know, she's stressed to the max and he's not here. Right. And that was her safe place. He was that for her. He was that for so many people, but at the same time, he couldn't be that for himself. And I've told her this many times, you know, over the last few years that it's okay to be mad at him. It's okay to be angry. You don't have to forgive him for it right now. It does suck. He took that from you. Right. But for whatever reason, he was in that place. And to him, this was the only option. And uh, a girl that I used to dispatch with, her husband actually has a lot of chronic problems, uh, like joint damage, you know, degenerative um, spine, I don't know the right word, disorder. <laughs> but he's in constant pain. And um, he tried to shoot himself in the head. It ended up missing completely and was superficial. Like it, and he was law enforcement, well, retired law enforcement. But it went around the back of his head, somehow missed everything. Mm. Just completely superficial. And when he was coherent enough and calmed down enough to talk, like after he'd been admitted to the hospital and everything, she asked him, why do you want to die? Why are you so sad? He said, I'm not sad. I'm just tired of being in pain. I'm maxed out on my pain medication. I'm a zombie. I can't function. This is my only way out. I'm a burden to you. We can't do things that we want to do because of my physical limitations. I can't take any more pain meds. I can't do any more physical therapy. I can't live like this. It's not that he wanted to die. It's not that he was sad. It's not that he was depressed. He was just simply sick of being in pain. And to him, that was the only way out. That was his last option, his last resort. Mm -hmm. And then there are people that are just so depressed and feel like they don't matter. Or, And I mean, honestly, who knows what goes through their heads when right. the only thing we have to go off of is if someone leaves a note or they attempted and survived. But it's different for everybody. You know, even sometimes when we talk to mentally ill callers, I um, will comment when I hang up can't imagine what it's like to live in their head. Right. That's their reality every day. Yeah. And I don't have the answers. I'm, I don't judge. I'm just saying, ask and for help. I know we all have those callers that are just batshit mm -hmm. and are good for entertainment. But on the same time, I'm like, I'll laugh about it be like, oh shit, someone still got this one again. And chuckle about it. Which... I probably shouldn't. It's it's not a judgment. It's not anything like that. It's just like one of those like, damn, this is our reality. Like it's our dark humor. Like you know, like you talked about that a little bit before. It that's it's our it's, it's our freaky coping. Yeah, exactly. But when it comes down to it, and exactly like you said, this is their reality. Mm -hmm. When they're calling you, thinking that there's you know three people in their house with guns and masks and everything and. You know, this is the seventh time we've been out there this week. We know there's not anything wrong. But they don't know. That's what's that's so scary. Their they reality. don't know. That is 100% their reality. Yeah. They are living in terror because they believe this is happening. 100% right. convinced. And I can't even imagine that all the time. Just every sense, every system, just stressed to the max constantly because your mind won't let it yeah. stop. Yeah, right. And you are really seeing it. That's yeah. the thing that's fascinating to me is they... It, it is so real for them. Yeah. They can describe in detail, like, I talked to some, you know, before we realized that they might have some sort of mental issue, and you're like, holy shit, I 100% believe that there was going to be, like, you know, some suicide squad in there, like, <laughs> trying to assassinate this person. And that's, um, that's always interesting, too, when it's someone that you've never talked to before, and you are entering the call notes, like, like it's just this crazy incident that's live and happening right now and you hear on the radio the officer tell his dispatcher hey this person is you know has mental issues or you know they use the code for that and you're just like oh my gosh <laughs> I was like I was panicked for them we actually had a call one time this lady would call in all the time she was just absolute bad shit so she calls in one day, middle of the afternoon, middle of the week. I was working a day shift. I was fairly new and she's like, yeah, my neighbor's out there and they have this giant assault rifle 
there there's like three of them just tell them this story and i'm like oh man she was like high in the night sure as shit the cops get there and start freaking out and they're like oh man the man with the, you know like yeah. holler in the coat not or crying the gun. yeah i was like oh shit wow like, this is legit like <laughs> yeah there was really some fool out on his front porch with an assault rifle swinging it around like I don't wow. know. I was just like, oh, damn. All right. Didn't yeah. see that one coming. See, like we've said, we just never know. We never know every day what is true. What life has in store for us. Don't what the other that. end of the phone has in store for it's us. True. It's like roulette. You just don't know. <laughs> right. So I have a couple more uh, suicide stories that I thought of to share. Um, how about you, Vicki? Um, so, I mean, I've had a couple um we had a family friend that did it and nobody and that's the thing about suicide that it's just one of the things that makes it so complicated is there's no single cause and people rarely see it coming i guess for lack of a better word not your family not i mean unless you're actively saying like you know, I mean, there's obviously certain things, suicidal comments that people make that kind of give hint to this is coming down the pipe, but it, most people don't. Most people have no idea. And that's how this one was, our family friend. I seen him and three days later, his ex-wife is telling me that he passed away. And I was just, like, I was absolutely in shock. Like, mm -hmm. absolutely floored. We had just seen him. He was standing in our front yard, conversating with us, laughing, having a good old time, playing with my kid. <laughs> Seemed completely normal, like not a care 100%, in the world. Yeah, not a care in the world. And then nobody had heard from him for two days, and the police went in there and did a welfare check and found him. Wow. Um, he, he didn't live by me. Like I don't. <laughs> His ex-wife was my across-the-street neighbor, and they were just an amazing family. And I never not in a million years would have expected him to be the one to do that and his wife mm -hmm. actually is a mental health professional she's oh, a therapist wow. she's a child psychologist and it just uh, it was just crazy did she see it coming at all no did she had yeah. no idea nobody not his close friends not his family nobody it total just blindsided everybody and we actually had a co-worker who her husband did that mm -hmm. and just to see I mean I'm actually friends with her outside of work and just to see the aftermath that that caused for her and their daughter it just I don't know it was just it's sobering to see like wow you know shit this really yeah versus you know like a personal experience with it versus just talking to someone on the phone that you know it, it's just it's weird you know that's interesting to bring up because I don't I don't know that people take the time to think about that as one as 911 dispatchers as first responders we deal with the same stuff in our lives that you do mm -hmm. you know a, a spouse commits suicide a, a child has mental issues a dispatcher is involved in a domestic violence situation I mean you know sometimes our reality is your reality we're just people yeah. We're everyday folks. Yeah. <laughs> so one of the calls that, uh, a suicide call I took that has really stuck with me is from a, it was a 13-year-old, 13-year-old female calling me, telling me how her friend posted on social media, which I have, I have a whole thing to talk about social media and suicide, but had posted on there that she was upset over a boy uh, breaking up with her and that she intended to kill herself. So this 13-year-old hopped on her bike, rode over to her friend's house, and found her hanging from a jump rope in the backyard shed. And it's hard enough when you're dealing with an adult in a situation like that, but trying to talk to this teenager and ask her, you know, is she alive? Can we help her? Can you cut her down? Yeah. To a 13-year-old, you know? And those calls are so hard, and I'm sure that that sticks with her oh yeah to this day that visual will never leave her no 
Um, the other one I have is a very similar situation of a friendship. This happened just a couple years ago. A, a female calls in and tells me, my friend just shot himself. And then this is how their minds are, you know, I, I can't even imagine what she was seeing or thinking. But then she makes the statement, well, really, he's just an acquaintance. And that just tells you how, you know, their mind's kind of like, what what just happened, yeah, you know? Trying to process it. And she had, you know, walked out of the house. And one of the hardest things I ever had to do, Becky, because, you know, our minds think so fast. And, you know, this is the next thing, this is the next thing. It was so hard for me to say, I need you to go back in there. Because this is a young woman, and I'm asking her to put herself in a situation that she is never going to forget. Oh, yeah. But if we had the chance of saving him, exactly. Like what? That was my job. My job yeah. was: is he breathing? Are we, are we going to be able to save him? And so she did go back in, and she was starting CPR. And luckily, an officer arrived very quickly. So an officer took over, and he didn't make it very long. He did pass away, but they do stick with me, and I know they stick with the people in the situations. Oh yeah. So. Please just ask for help. The number again is 1-800-273-8255. And for me, I think just being in this profession, just, you know, having personal experience, I guess, with it just through friends of the family and, you know, things like that, just people need to come to terms and understand that there's no shame in being overwhelmed by the things we deal with, whether, you know, you're non-law enforcement, non-first responder, non-military, whatever. I feel like there definitely is probably, and obviously I have no statistics. This is just all anecdotal. Like I, I don't know, uh -huh. <laughs> but I feel like there's, you know, military, law enforcement, EMS, fire, dispatch, there's probably a higher suicide rate versus and it's climbing and, it, and it you is. know now they now they do say there are 21 veteran suicides every single day yeah. and it's just it's because of that it's the trauma that you're exposed to on a daily basis and it's so hard to process that everybody processes it differently and I think also part of that is just the stigma that surrounds the topic of suicide or depression or any type of mental illness and it's okay. Being vulnerable does not make you weak. Being overwhelmed does not make you weak. There's no shame in any of it. We all are. No matter how tough you try to be, no matter how put together you think someone else is, you do not know what's going on behind closed doors. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it's... So what do we say? Love and appreciate each other. I think that's one thing we're learning through this whole virus situation, like we talked about before. Yeah. It's who is really key in our society, yes. who is really making a difference, who is really there for us, you know? That's true. It does. It puts a lot of things in perspective, just like we were just talking about, you know, just a little bit ago, the whole, yeah, this is beyond a nightmare. It's total shit that's happening. But at the same time, what's it teaching us? It's right. teaching us what we can and cannot live without, what we need versus what we don't need. Yeah, needs versus wants. Yeah. Yeah. It puts the focus back on what's important. Right. Makes you take a long, hard look at some things and maybe some of your life choices because the people you had to be quarantined with. These yeah. <laughs> <laughs> are rough. I've seen this <laughs> meme and it said, and this, I feel bad even saying this, and I don't even know if she'll listen to this because of the topic, but so my best friend is getting married in the fall and she's very extremely stressed that this whole thing is going to make that so it's not a reality at mm -hmm. least in the way she had planned but I've seen this meme and said just think all the weddings being canceled it gives you a second chance to rethink that oh my gosh and I thought holy <laughs> shit I've never read anything more true in my entire life yep it's definitely made some, uh, some interesting some interesting change in people's lives yeah and just you know weddings are a perfect example 
people that are deciding, okay, well, I guess we'll just go to our local pastor, go to the right. Justice of Peace, and guess what? You're just as married as if right. you had had a $50,000 wedding. Exactly. Exactly. I don't know. We, uh, we overthink things sometimes. We over... We make things over extravagant yes. sometimes. But and right now, like, I mean, my nails are looking a little raggedy. I'm not going to lie. So okay. good. It's rough. But right now, I'm super glad. Like, I was thinking about this today. It's like, I am glad that I am not high maintenance in this. I don't dye my hair. I, you know. Yet. Because I know. She's quite a bit younger than I am. I've got some gray roots going on. She can attest to that. Yet. I don't have to yet. And I mean, my hair is... Listen, I like my hair. The lovely shade of auburn. It's going to go gray. Like, I know that. It's going to happen quick. But I don't worry about eyelashes. I don't, you know. Right. I do my own damn makeup. Yeah. But I just, I don't know. I Some just, people are being people forced are, to be them true selves. Right. <laughs> I've seen a meme yeah. that had like a pit bull come through a window. And it was like, girl, I almost bit you. What happened to your wig? What happened to your eyelashes? Where's your nails? Yeah. <laughs> and I mean, well, I'm sad about my nails, but like I, I used to have eyelash extensions. I used to be bougie as hell and all about that. Now I'm just, I mean, the last couple of years, I'm just like, what? For what? I don't give a shit what people think of me. Ultimately, as long as I love me, guess what? Right. I don't care. I just don't. I'm in a good place. Even with the Rona. Just be you. Just love you. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Because at the end of the night, your eyelashes aren't going to keep you warm. <laughs> that is <laughs> true. <laughs> Solid your, truth. Your hair extensions, your eyelashes. <laughs> and the money we spend on that stuff, Oh, yeah. You know? I don't know. Yeah, that was... I was paying someone's light bill. <laughs> right. I do love the whole simplify thing. It has been nice to just get... Like, before I came to see you today... I thought, I should probably get some cleaning done. And then I realized, yeah, no, I'm going right. to do a puzzle. <laughs> totally. I didn't do and shit And it's really today. okay. Did nothing. And at first I was like, oh my gosh, I got to get this done. I got to get that done. I got to do this. And I'm like, why? Yeah. And we are letting go of that. We are letting go of putting pressure on ourselves. Right. I think the beauty of At least I am. And it sounds I, like you I are. I absolutely am. Because I realized the beauty of dishes Guess what? They're going to wait for me. Yeah, they're not going anywhere. They're not going to run out on me. <laughs> Those dishes will be there for me today. They'll be there for me tomorrow. Just like the laundry. That's true. No matter what, crisis or not, laundry and dishes, that is a constant. And then these two-legged roommates of mine. Yeah. Husband and, son. and the spawn. The two-legged. I love how you call them the spawn. The spawn. They want to be fed. Like, these people need dinner every night. Just kidding. I've always cooked, but now I'm just more aware of it because they're home all the time, and it's like, what's for lunch? I don't know, an Uncrustable? I am so sick of cooking, and I know that we're not alone. Get your ass in the fridge and buy something. <laughs> I have a new appreciation for cooks in restaurants. Right? And yeah. I love to cook. I love to cook, and I'm trying real hard not to be like, listen... Now I'm your school teacher, I'm the lunch lady, I'm the janitor, like I'm doing everything. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm still working full time and then some because it's all hands on deck. And, yeah. you know, like we obviously have a couple side projects going and I'm trying to add more and I'm just like, bitch, you crazy. Yeah. <laughs> What's wrong? I don't know. I thrive on chaos, evidently. Well, I'm sure you saw, I saw a really funny meme that I shared, and I'm sure you saw it, but it said, it turns out my three favorite hobbies are eating at restaurants, going to non-essential businesses, and touching my face. Touching my face, yes. 100%. Yeah. We're realizing what's important to us. And I have, like, so I'm a stress eater so bad, and I have worked so hard over the last, like, six, seven months to try and curb that habit, you know, and just let it out in other ways, things like that, a more healthy thing. But man, this last couple weeks, like my fridge is about to have a note on it that's like, bitch, what do you need now? Like, it's going <laughs> to oh start my talking God. to me. That is that we should print those and sell <laughs> that shit. 
like my LG fridge, when I open the door, instead of it playing that chime, it's going to be like, bitch, what now? Two weeks from now, we're going to see that um, some, somebody's going to have, yeah. <laughs> Capitalized on this. The idea. I don't know. How did we even get on that? I don't, I don't know. know. That's I like, what I love about us. Yeah. Just that's absolutely how it works. Like, we talk about one thing, and then it reminds us of something. It was this, it was that. And then we'll circle all the way back around. Yeah, no, this is the truth about our job, though, because it we is. will. We'll take a horrific call like that, mm-hmm. and the next thing you know, we're just talking about something mm-hmm. that doesn't even matter. And then, you know, an officer just did this, and the ambulance just that, you know? Yeah, this is, yeah. This mm-hmm. is us. This, this is our best. reality. This is the unscripted account. Yes, exactly. It's like to be a night Welcome to our mind. <laughs> so, here's interesting, going back to the uh, 19-year-old that was hit by the train. I actually had the, I don't want to say misfortune. I didn't know how I would react, Becky. But I was on a ride-along one day when a call went out of a female that had been standing on the tracks and was hit by a train. And we roll up, and the person that I'm riding with is like, do you want to wait in the car? And I'm like, you know what, I don't think so. I think think I'm going to get out. And, again, I'm walking down the tracks, having no idea what I'm going to see. And this is the stuff that they see every day that we really don't, right? So we're walking along, and the first thing I see off to my right, off to the right of my tracks, is a leg. Oh. And it doesn't even look real, you know? It was a a warm day, and so probably more so than if it even would have been a cold day, you know, stuff instantly parts of this female instantly started drying up, okay? And so then we, we take a few more steps and there's just a foot laying there. But as we continue down the tracks and there, there are parts of this woman who had no other solution mm-hmm. in her mind than to kill herself, we get, we get down to the end and right on the tracks, just her head oh. is laying there. But Becky, again, it didn't look real, but this was the thing that I will never forget that must go through so many of their minds every single day. It was just sitting there. Her jaw was kind of down on the track. Her hair was windblown, but she had the most peaceful look on her face. It was just crazy. That is. Like, and even just hearing you describe it, it's just, like I'm picturing it, was and was that here? Yes. Okay. Yeah. All right. So yeah. So this actually happened. I'm pretty sure not too far from my house. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Mm-hmm. There was that one summer that this seemed to be like the method of choice. Right. I did. I remember that. Yeah. So and I do remember that. And then we have a mutual friend whose ex works with your spouse oh, okay so like I had heard about it from that too oh, like okay. certain aspects of it you know and it sounded terrible but just to hear you describe it I had no idea you were out on a ride along and yeah yeah I yeah oh I just can't even and like you said that's their reality that's their day-to-day yeah they have to go out there and put their game face on and just handle it and just like us, just like when we pick up the phone and we're taking that information and we're getting the pertinent details that we need to send them to that, they show up on that scene and it was so interesting to watch them methodically, you know, it's a crime scene, it's this, it's that, do their jobs. But then I'm sure they went home that night and were just like, <sighs> you know, because yeah. like, wow, it's been years now. Yeah. And you can tell. How fresh that is in my oh, yeah, head. Definitely. So certain things are never they never dull. No. <laughs> it's always there. So let's call up our special guest. Yes. So let's. we have um, a paramedic actually that's gonna talk to us about being on the other side of the phone. And let me just see if I can get her on the line with us. Do you want to sing a little ditty while we get her on the should line? I, should I sing a ditty? I don't think anyone wants to hear me sing because 
while I've had some friends. Okay, oh, hey, hold on just one second. Okay. I, I don't see. I'm going to walk towards that room. Okay. We've asked uh, our guests to be in a kind of a soundproof room because sometimes it's really hard to keep out the background noise. So just pause while we get her where she needs to be. What were you saying? Okay, I'm good. Oh, just that I have a terrible singing voice. It is not one of my talents. Oh. I'm good. Sangria or not. Okay. Hi, JD. Hello. So I'm here with Becky, as you know. We're doing our podcast on suicide today. And we wanted to have you in as a paramedic who responds to the scenes to tell the other side of the story. Right. Right. Okay. So, yeah, she's aware of it, just for, for our listeners. So as, as the dispatch side, I'm going to talk about how I remember this call going out, and then you can tell your story of what you really arrived on, okay? Okay. Because that happens to our responders a lot. Like, we'll dispatch them on one thing, and they get there, and they think, we have the dumbest dispatchers right. in the world, because no. that's not at all what What happened. are these people doing, because this isn't yeah, even close. It'll come in as a stroke and we get there and they're diabetic. Yeah, so we only know what the person on the other end of the phone is telling us. So I was uh, actually dispatching the fire side of this situation and the call notes came in as a breathing problem. A woman calling in saying, my son isn't breathing. And, uh, well, first of all, what difficulty breathing and then wasn't breathing. But anyway, we got to the point where the dispatcher was starting CPR, okay? So we let our responders know, JD and the other people responding, we're starting CPR. And this is what we believe is happening. So JD, tell us what happened when you got on scene. So when I arrived on the call, there was a lot of stairs to the house and you know, we carry um, some equipment with us, a pack and a monitor and each of them weigh about 35 pounds. So I walk up these stairs and I go in this very beautiful room. It was um, people that were greater than middle class, upper middle class. They, they definitely kept a nice home. It was clean. Everything was in order. And I met this very panicked mother just inside the door who started walking through her house. Please help my son. Please help my son. He's not breathing. He's not breathing. you got to help him breathe. And we ended up going down uh, a bunch of stairs into a basement uh, that was finished and again very very nice and elegant and all of a sudden we're walking down this long hall and the last door on the left she pointed at it and she said go in there he's in there I can't go in there please go in there help okay him so breathe. Help him breathe. hold on just a second so she said I can't go in there so we think that she's with him she's doing CPR but she has, hasn't actually gone in the room um, I don't know if she was in there doing anything or okay, not, but okay. at that point she said she could not go in there. And I'm like, okay, so I open up the door and I see a lava lamp over in the corner and it's lit and there's a lot of clothes, like most, I think he was about 19 years old, there was a lot of clothes and stuff, the bed was a disarray, it definitely didn't match the rest of the house, it was, you know, a kid that lives with his parents. and. I uh, tried to use the light switch to the right and it wouldn't come on and so I set my pack and monitor down and kind of was walking through um, the room by myself and I couldn't see anything like I, I looked at the bed and I really couldn't see anything everything was like this disarray and I remember like brushing something off of my shoulder and um, then all of a sudden I remember like touching my hair and trying like something was dripping all over and I pulled my flashlight out and as I turned it on there was a pile of clothes in that corner by the lava lamp and there sat a 19 year old boy with most of his head gone. Oh. He shot himself and it went all over the ceiling and was dripping all over me as I entered that room. And I remember just looking at him and he had most of a brain stem and everything. And I just turned around and I came out of the room and shut the door and his mom was there, please, please help him breathe, please help him breathe. And I remember just grabbing her and hugging her and saying, I'm sorry, I can't work a miracle. And she just sobbed and sobbed and sobbed on my shoulder. 
begging me, begging me to help him breathe. Please help him breathe. She would say that. And that's all I could say is, I'm not God. I'm part God, but I'm not God. <laughs> they and always call us paragods. Yeah. You know, but I couldn't yeah. do anything there. Humpty Dumpty could not put those pieces back together. You right. know, it's one of those right. things. It's, it's just tragic. And I just kept hugging her and hugging her and hugging her. So how do you how do you deal with that being on the scene with that person because like we talk about how hard that is talking to that mother on the phone but there comes a point where you arrive and we get to hang up you're there dealing with the situation face to face well I, I'm a unique person and um, I actually um, do a lot of self aftercare for families of tragedies and traumas and stuff and so like um, I remember like kind of bonding that day and helping her with what was going to happen you know we had um, crime scene people and the police come over to do their thing to make sure it wasn't a homicide you always investigate everything as if it's not is what they tell me so they're doing their thing and I was talking to her and then I came back like three weeks later and visited with them and just kind of helped them and in a way, I got to know their son through the stories that they would tell me the different times I would come back. And then it becomes like, I, I heal because I help them heal. That's I feel amazing. like them, them dro like dropping that. their burden on my shoulder actually helps them heal. So I heal by helping them. I don't take any of it personal. It's kind of gross to look at, but I don't, I don't focus on that. I focus on those who are living and those who I can help. But just like, just like we have um, talked about how this stuff stays in our mind, obviously that stays in your mind because you can describe that like you just walked in there yesterday. Yeah, it stays in my mind, but what it doesn't come out unless it needs to. Right. Um, I feel like um, God has given me a safe box, and I don't feel like anything is put in there until it's safe to put in there. Like I deal with it, and sometimes I've had counseling, and sometimes I've just told the story 75 times to somebody. I remember I used to call my mother and she would listen to my story and I would be like three or four times on the same phone call. I would just repeat it, repeat it, repeat it. And then when we would hang out, my mother would say, okay, I'll talk to you this afternoon. And I remember a couple times thinking, why does she think I'm gonna call this afternoon? <laughs> but I did. And then okay. I told her the same story over and over. And I think if you talk about it, and then you do something with it to help somebody else. The best way to get over something in your life is to do something kind for somebody else. And so like in my career, I've attended funerals and all sorts of things to help the people that I've helped over the last 20 plus years. That's awesome. I, I, we know of a, a couple of situations in our dispatch center where it's kind of the same thing. We've had yeah. a few regulars that call in, call in, and then we find out they've passed away and there have been several dispatchers who go to that funeral because somehow it is cathartic. Right. It is. It's awesome. And, and it pays respect to them and their family and they're real people. And, you know, so many people that lose somebody, they're surrounded that first three weeks to a month with a lot of friends and a lot of family helping them get through that grievance and mourning process. But then it ends. And no more cards come in the mail, no more phone calls, no more emails, no more Facebook posts, no more anything. That's and the so family true. is left to grieve by themselves, and sometimes they don't know how to do it anymore. And that's when it really hits them. So then you have me walk into their house that says, I don't forget about your son. And then three weeks later, I do it. And then eventually we end up with having coffee or tea or whatever they drink dates on specific days of the week. and. You know, there's still people that I could go to their house right now and they would invite me in and have a cup of coffee with me and maybe talk about their son or a daughter for a minute. But then we just talk about life and they've healed and they appreciate that I come and visit with them and recognize that it's not over. And that's, I guess that is kind of cool where you get to go out in person, you become more a part of the community than we ever really get A very unique to. bond doing yeah. that. You bonded over what is probably undoubtedly the worst day of their life but you're able to build on that and you do share that bond and they're able to i'm sure it is cathartic you know to have that on the anniversary or every six months or you know 
in a way it yeah, kind of helps and them I usually not forget. try on that one year anniversary to go back because that's the one year of everything has transpired. But I will tell you, Stacy and Becky, this has been the most rewarding thing I've ever done. On the worst day of any human's life, they invite me, a stranger, into their home. Mm-hmm. And I am humbled that the worst moment of their life, a stranger, is who they're reaching out to. And it is completely humbling to me. And what an honor, in another way, to be that person that they are just um, looking for help and to put it back together or put help them put new pieces. And I, my job is to help them create a new normal. That's amazing. J.D., thank you so much for sharing your story, and we hope that you'll come visit with us again. Okay, well, thanks for, thanks for allowing me. It's been fun. Okay, thank have you. a blessed day. All right. Bye. Bye-bye. I like what she said because I think that's kind of what, um, kind of the same thing that we have said, even through all of our humor, for all of our, oh my gosh, we get these ridiculous funny calls. We show up every day for that exact reason, to help whoever's going to call us. Whoever's going to invite us into our help. Their worst day. Yep. That is 100% what that is. Inviting us into their worst day. Sometimes it's more than once a week right but for a lot of people the reality is they're only going to call 911 once or twice in their entire life and it is going to be for something terrible unfortunately yeah that's the majority of our callers we do have a lot of repeat but i mean yeah i've never really thought about that like you are inviting me into your life on the worst day of your life on the very worst day even if you know if it's something tragic like a suicide, if it's something traumatic like a unexpected cardiac arrest, you know, it is it is still the worst day of that person's life. And you know what, we had we had talked about our, uh, you just can't make this shit up, but I don't think I can even do that today. Well, we're going to make an exception today on that, and we'll, we'll yeah. share another one with you next time, because this is just a topic that I can't end on a humorous note I guess so So once again you guys that hotline is 1-800-273-8255 if you have stories to share with us Oliver Freebush at 911.net is the 911 podcast on it oh sorry yeah look (laughs) look at Becky calling me out who had too much sangria today that might have been me I mean and thank you all for listening if you gotten to the end of this because I'm sure you heard me crunching my fruit like a caveman. Oh, it's all good. I know I pulled the apple out of my cup and I'm like, like, oh, I can't be crunching that. Shit, it's kind of loud. But I'm going to do it now. So whatever you're doing today, we hope the rest of your day is fantastic. And more than ever, we mean it when we say take care of each other. Yes, definitely. Bye, kids.